Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest. My favorite guest, my the most shows I've done on my channel are with Roberta Glass of the True Crime Report. We've done many shows commenting on Epstein and uh, Innocence Fraud and many subjects, West Memphis 3. But I was kind of just, she came to mind as I was just scanning something. I saw, oh my gosh, Joe Rogan uh, interviewed Amanda Knox and I hadn't listened to it. And it was back on September 21st, 2021. I was like, oh my gosh, this is very strange. Just at first glance. And so I reached out to Roberta and said, hey, we got to take a look at this. Because I know that uh, there's a lot of problems with the whole Knox situation. And then I listened to the whole three hours of it. And it was even worse for me. But so I have some notes, but Roberta uh, knows a lot more about innocence fraud and these kind of subjects than I do. So I'm delighted to have her. So Roberta Glass, are you there? Thank you. Thank you for that very warm introduction. <laughs> this was absolutely painful to, to, to listen to. Most of the time when I'm researching for our shows, I, I have a good time. This was absolutely awful. Excruciating. And I, and I thought to myself yeah. many times, I must really love William Ramsey to do this because this, I was so, it was really like a torture to listen to. Just so many lies, uncorrected. And then you feel like a know-it-all. And you kind of feel guilty, like, well, I, not everybody's going to know everything. Don't be a know-it-all. But you really, I mean, just blatant lies. And it, and Joe Rogan, this is a big show. I think yeah. it's the biggest podcast in the world, as far in as the I world, know. Yeah. And yeah. No, he doesn't have a fact checker? Right. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Like, what's his producer thinking, just even putting her on? And some questions were answered by listening to the whole thing, because I guess his friend, uh, Cummings or whatever was the one who got her on the show. He he credited his friend. She's a comedian. Her name was Whitney, Cum Whitney, Whitney Cummings, Cummings. Yeah, yeah, for putting her on the show. So that was like okay, that makes more sense because I I'm like concerned for Rogan, like because I saw her like if he's going to go down that Innocence Project route, which he has a little bit because there was somebody else after Knox was on. Um, he put on. He mentioned Josh Durbin and Rob. Uh, Jason Flum. Jason Flum, right. And then he had Jason, Josh Durbin and Robert Jones on later in the month. I don't know much about the Robert Jones case, but I'm sensing, like, I literally, in my mind, after watching this, I'm like, Damien Eccles next, is next. <laughs> like, Definitely. Oh, I, I think Josh uh, Dubin, is is that his name? Uh, there's two of them. It's Josh Josh Dubin, Josh Durbin and Jason Flum, I think is it. Oh, okay. Um, well, He's gotten, sounds like he's gotten Joe Rogan hook, line, and sink into the Innocence Project and Innocence, yes. what I consider Innocence Fraud, with no skepticism at all. And it really made me think about Joe Rogan's background, being raised in San Francisco and a left-wing family. And this is really someone who was raised in a left-wing family. This is really a value of the left, this idea that our justice system is so unfair and that we're incarcerating so many innocent people every year. It's an so. excellent point. Yeah, no, it's really true. And he even mentions it in the interview about how his familial hardships were and he was drinking powdered milk. So you kind of get that sensibility. So he has kind of a preset sympathy, I guess, is, is, is what you're saying, right? But what, what really struck me about this interview and 
I'm going to repeat myself, but the number one question I get in my private life when people ask, when I tell them that I do a true crime podcast, they all want to know what is up with Amanda Knox. Why is she so creepy? I hear she's innocent, but really she creeps me out. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. Well, I can can understand why people have that because I can put some creepy pictures of her up on YouTube, right? We'll do it in a sec, but I have- I took one screenshot where her eyes, she really had the, uh, I had to screenshot- Crazy girlfriend eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can hear his subconscious through this whole thing. So he starts out the interview talking about being fooled by people. So that has to be on his mind, right? somewhere in there back i think you're absolutely right because he says it twice he says it like i'm used to bsers right and that's why i have Mm -hmm. this clip because that's the subtext of what's going on in the interplay between her and him so So, much and then oh we we can let's start with that okay because this is right at the intro because it reminded me of the west memphis three too because it was she immediately goes to right after law enforcement so this is this is a clip i'm sure the audio should come through but this is within the first five minutes of a three-hour broadcast, so here we go. Not yeah. just taking over his marriage, but taking over. I think he was life. just driving the car around for a day. Okay. Because he didn't think that people would notice. But it was like a very noticeable car, like a Jaguar in this town. But the point so is that <laughs> I used to think that I was good, like that I would meet someone who was full of shit. I'm like, oh, that guy's full of shit. But I thought he was just a regular guy. Yeah. I was used to being around so many guys like that that were legit. I just assumed he was legit too, you know? Yeah, I think that's um, the trouble with law enforcement also, is yes. they tend to feel like they go, they even go through trainings where they're trained to read people right. um, using the read technique. And they um, come away with a false idea of being able to understand people's cues. And of course, there's also the, the problem of like cultural differences and cultural cues that came into play in my own case, for instance. But like just in general, across the board, there is a tremendous amount of um, this, the whole like wrongful conviction process kickstarts from mm-hmm. that from the get-go from a detective or a police officer getting a vibe and then following through on that gut feeling regardless of what evidence presents itself. I work with, uh, I have a good friend Josh Dubin and uh, him and a guy named Jason Flom had come on before and they work with the Innocence Project. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have started doing some stuff with Josh, and he's coming on again soon, and we're going over very specific cases. Mm-hmm. And I've actually sent him some cases where people have reached out to me and friends that I know. There's a lot of that out there. There's yeah. a lot of wrongful convictions. There's a lot of like really obvious <laughs> shit police work, corrupt cops, uh, corrupt prosecutors who just want to get a, a number on their ledger just to want to get it. All right. So that was kind of like the intro that was right at the outset. She lays that groundwork right in their mind is, or in the audience too, is their vibes, gut feelings, regardless of evidence. Right. Oh my gosh. So, but what we, you know what it made me think of? Um, Do you know the case of the, of Clark Rockefeller, the guy who pretended to be a Rockefeller? Yes. Yeah. He was like a, yeah. And he had all these props and he moved among. So if you're in in it, so it reminded me of the props of of the Innocence Project. So Joe Rogan has a friend that he trusts. It's also the Innocence Project that somehow, 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 even after they they, uh, 
railroaded uh, and got a guy to falsely confess so they could get a guilty guy out of prison. So they could, I'm talking about the all-star Simon Anthony Porter case in Chicago. Even after that, they still have a good reputation. That should have been the end of the Innocence Project. Right? Right. So somehow they still have a good reputation. So he, they're really tr- all these props go into people thinking that they're getting good information. Oh, right. he's given me inf- everything pretty much. The, uh, the omissions that the Innocence Project gives you on a case is, are so large. And sometimes now they're just going straight to, to lying about, wow. about cases. Wow, I didn't straight know that. out. I mean, they're, they're getting bolder and bolder each year as they gain, like a snowball, gaining more and more power and more and more money. And other organizations are joining in with them, like the ACLU. So that's what that made me think of. Wow. So like, I was just the like this. Being fooled. Yeah. But it was like, also, she got in her first strike was really her first real statement was the cops are have no evidence and are operating on gut feeling and vibes. So it reminded me exactly like she either had a PR or something or somebody intelligent has she had her points that she wanted to make. And I think that was her first point. So she gets that. across. Yeah, She was not convicted. And this is something that's really misunderstood. If you go away, uh, the audience goes away with nothing else but understanding that the decision, the Supreme Court decision that let Amanda Knox go determined that she was there at the scene of the crime, that she washed Meredith's blood off her hands and her feet. And (laughs) that's that's her exonerating decision. And that's not a your innocent decision. That's uh, the decision was that there wasn't enough evidence. It was, a, I believe, a, a political decision. There was a lot of political pressure on Italy to let her go. And people, other people have said that. And it's important to remember that, the, the as you noted, that Meredith Kircher died November, early morning, November 1st or 2nd, right? 2007. So we're almost mm-hmm. at the 14-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And it's also that she was guilty. Knox was found guilty the first time, I think, in 2010, and then immediate appeal. And then, and this is important. These are just basic facts. Then they were found innocent, and then she was let go, and then they was retried by the Supreme Court. And they had all problems with the DNA. There was a lot of issues with the DNA, if I remember correctly. But she was found guilty of calumnia, right? She was found guilty of what would be slander, and she literally blamed the black guy, her boss, Lamumba, who was her boss at the restaurant, and he ended up going to, like, I think he spent, like, a few days in jail or something until they figured out it was fake, and she did nothing to allay suspicion away from him for a month. Right, and she's a convicted slanderer. That's uh, There's not a really good translation in, in, in uh, English yeah, for, right. for that charge, but she slandered, slandered him right. and, and ruined his business ruined his life. She still owes him uh, $100,000 in American money that she's never paid, even though she got $3 million. When you say there's issues with the DNA, they just threw out the DNA evidence. Amanda Knox supporters will say it's corrupted. And they'll say all all the DNA evidence that implicates Rudy is correct. But anything that implicates Amanda Knox, which is a lot, there's a lot (laughs) <laughs> of evidence that implicates not and Selecito. Um, right. Can you, wrong. Do you remember some of the, yeah. 
Um, yeah, sure. The the thing that the Amanda Knox uh, supporters, including her husband, who approached me on Twitter and tried to get me to change my mind about her. And the minute I mentioned this, which is Philomena's room, and some of the supporters don't even know that she she had um, two other roommates besides right. Meredith, Philomena and Laura. Philomena's room was the room of the staged break-in. And why I say staged is because the glass was on 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 top of the of of the stuff, like it was, you know, like right. It was only on the inside too, right? Right. So it was exactly. only on the inside of her room on a window that you would have had to be twelve feet tall to get into. So you would have had to have, have had a ladder, which nobody found, and there was no evidence of somebody climbing through the window. It just you couldn't, like and it was muddy. You would have had muddy footprints up there. It would have been very hard to climb. And she had already staged a break-in as a prank a uh, year before this. Uh, oh, really? I didn't know One of know her that. girlfriends. So there's there's mixed blood of Meredith and Amanda in the bathroom and in Philomena's room. So that's why they say that she was Meredith and Amanda, the Supreme Court, were bleeding at the same time. Why were they bleeding at the same time? And that's why, and it's also the DNA, her... DNA on the handle of the knife and Meredith's DNA on the blade. And um, when I say mixed blood, it's mixed DNA that lights up under luminol. That's another thing that Amanda Knox's supporters will like to say. Well, it's not blood. Amanda had root vegetables, like carrots. Oh, on they her have an excuse for everything. Make crazy excuses. Yeah, it's like the but West Memphis three again. Yeah. Right. Most likely blood. So there's mixed blood in the bathroom, in Philomena's room. There's also things, there's, Amanda likes to say there was no evidence in the murder room. Well, that was also the room that she did a lot of cleaning of, but there was a footprint in, in her size shoe on the pillow that was never, never really explored because they couldn't find the shoes. But what woman size seven shoe print in blood and Meredith's blood is on the, you know, right. the figure. There's, there's plenty of evidence. Like, it, it, this was not a vibe. This was not a vibe. Right. No, they had tons of evidence on her suspicious stuff at night. They were their phones were missing. They turned right. off their phones. Thank you. I mean, they had no alibis. Did you uh, hear when she said that they that that the phone they couldn't use the cell phone pings because Rafi's house was too close to hers? Yeah, no, Amanda, you turned off your phones at the same time. That was another very suspicious thing that evening. You turned off your phones and you turned them on the next morning at the same time. Very early in the morning. That's all, you know, oh, so. There was so much stuff that implicated her. They had tons of evidence on him and Solicito. And do you ever see the picture of her with the bruise on her neck, too, that night? Yeah. I mean, it was never brought into court, but there is a picture of her with a bruise on her neck. Sure. And people will say, oh, it's a hickey. I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, you I can be know. the judge. So Here it is right there. Other yeah. evidence, yeah. Right. I mean, it just is suspicious, and yeah, they they were hyper suspicious. And like she mentions him as her boyfriend, like they only knew each other for five or six days, I think, right? Two weeks, yeah, two, two weeks. But that's another thing Amanda Knox supporters like to talk about. Well, why would she commit this murder with someone that she just met? Well, my theory on it is when two psychopaths meet, it's on very quickly. Between the two, they finally found their soulmates. They found a soulmate. He was, interest, right? Yeah, he was into gory horror movies. There's pictures of him with like 
uh, in a costume with a big hatchet knife, right? Yep, and Bleach. And Bleach. Which, which right. comes into play in this case, and also bestiality on his computer. Right. He was he had a problem with, uh, was already arrested by the police with hash, which is not a big deal. But right. I was thinking, do I know anybody that was arrested that young with a drug charge that young? Uh, no one, no one that I know. And I'm not saying that no one I know ever smoked hash, but it's kind of different to, to get caught for it. Right. He says he wrote, wrote to his father in his prison diary. I don't know if it is fair, but I should pay so much for being able to focus on moments during, not be able to focus on November 1st. But after this experience, believe me, I will never touch marijuana again in my life. So they might have both been high that night of something. I, I think I, she was going through a lot of money, a lot of money very quickly. And what Rudy says about, and and you can take or leave it, is that this started, murder, the murder of Meredith started as a fight about money. And that's something I believe, the rent money missing. And uh, so uh, she was going through thousands of dollars a day. Amanda Knox supporters say she was spending it on truffles, <laughs> chocolates. <laughs> but it, it, I think there is some kind of... Um, amphetamines stimulants involved in in this wow no i never heard that i yeah. didn't know that and guide uh, has stated over and over that they did it right so he's blaming yes. them i think all the time he's saying they did it they did it they did it so yeah, yeah. it's funny they like to they like to, to talk about that first phone call with his friend where first he says they weren't involved but then he says they start talking, his friend Giacomo starts talking to him about the details of the murder. And they say, oh, she was unclothed. And he goes, oh, no, they murdered her clothes. Rafi and Amanda murdered her. She was still clothed. So right. and it's like not she, so and, and, uh, yeah. exonerating. And yeah, Nock said stuff, too. Like she knew stuff about the scene that they wouldn't. And there's clearly, I think the, the court said, at least one of the courts said that, there was a concerted effort to get rid of her DNA, but not Gade's. So that's why the place was cleaned up, and there was a lamp from her yeah. room in right. Meredith's room, which was her only light source, right. which is really important. And um, Tuesday, who I did an episode about two episodes about Amanda Knox with, thinks that that her earring. She always talks about, oh, my ears were just pierced. That during the murder or the fight that Meredith may have pulled Amanda Knox's earring out. And that's why it was bleeding. Cause it's really, it, it, it does look very red and, and unhappy when you uh, see pictures of it. Wow. And then she had a handwritten voluntary statement, which was never mentioned in the Rogan show, right? Where she wrote down, like, I could have been there. I had my hands over my ears. This is a copy of it right here. While, mm -hmm. while Meredith was screaming. Like she said, very incriminating stuff there that, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. In another another environment, she could be convicted with that. Or I think in front of a jury, right? In my opinion. Just to clarify, so that the theory is that she was looking for the earring under the bed. I don't know if oh, I finished no. that thought and made it clear. Yeah, that's but, the theory. Um, oh, because she that was she's trying to get rid, get away, get it, the uh, evidence away from that. Right? Yeah, but there was no reason there would be. So when she says there wasn't, she loves to say, Amanda Knox, there was no evidence of me in that room. But there's her lamp sitting right there. Right. Uh, why? Mm -hmm. 
why? Why was it sitting there? She didn't even, wasn't even smart enough to make up a story about, well, Meredith needed to, I don't know what, what you would make up about that, but you'd think yeah, you'd make up something. 15 years later or whatever, however, however many years later. Right, it's 14 years. So she, she's got her story down, but I mean, Rogan, that was the, I mean, I, it's interesting because I followed him with the Sanjay Gupta. Like he really took apart Gupta and it was mm -hmm. just the opposite of this where she controlled him. Like a communications expert would say he was almost in the passive role, he, you know, and that he didn't really have a good understanding of stuff. Like he didn't, somebody should have given him, even even something from like Wikipedia would have given him a better idea of what happened, but he didn't even seem to have that. And also, like I saw that you you mentioned this, like I saw that documentary. It's just like the Western history <laughs> all over again. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it Isn't is. It? Yes. It's like has he not <sighs> figured out that that these true crime documentaries are total BS yet? Has he not figured not, this out? Not, not all of them, but uh, but uh, all a lot of them. Making a murderer Most, is a joke. Yeah, a joke. I think a lot of people woke up after making a murderer, but not Joe Rogan. He yeah. still thinks he's getting the full story, and she goes after Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote a love letter thing to her, because hmm. she's just so much of Amanda Knox's obsession is being judged. And being a good person. And that's really the theme of this. Is And she sees her mark. She sees Joe Rogan is believing her. And right. she just keeps on it. And trying, playing up what a great person she is. And how compassionate. And what a great listener she is. That's the first I've heard of that. Wow. No one's ever said that about Amanda Knox. She loves wow. to talk about herself. Uh, um, yeah. About Three hours of that. Yeah. And then she says something about where she starts... And she goes, why are they talking about me and not the victim? Like that, the victim. Right. She has a name, right. Meredith Kircher. She doesn't like to say Meredith Kircher's name. It's really, right. this whole thing, let's let's go through it. Oh, no, anyway. It's bad. No, you're right. I mean, it's, it was three hours. It was, it was like a low-level, full-body nausea watching it. And I, and there was, there was a moment there, like I listened to some of it while I was driving. And there was an off-color kind of laugh from her. Like well, Joe Rogan is like talking about like people people mining for uh, uh, cell phone materials in the Congo, and she kind of out. See if see what you think about this. I'm gonna play this. Let's see. Let's see if I get this. See what see what you think about this. She's kind of smiling and laughing at really off color like, moments. It gets dark. Yeah. It gets real, real evil. Mm -hmm. You're you're literally dealing Almost with child like labor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, I have a friend of mine explaining to me the situation in the Congo where they, coal tan or coal, coal tan, right? There's a, a mineral that's uh, crucial for cell phones that they get. It's literally dug out of the ground with sticks by kids. In Is some it like, places. I, I, know, I also know that there's like toxicity involved, like even oh, when talking about sure. the COVID pandemic like those miners that were in there like scraping away at the, like the bat dung oh. and they got sick like and they yeah. just died and everyone's like huh that's an interesting experiment that we just did <laughs> here's the kicker is like she's laughing right here like he's like yeah there's you know like what and then like, the camera moves yeah. away from yeah her. there's yeah, yeah, they better edit that out real quick. Wow, I miss that. I love talking to you because I always, I always see so many things that I missed. I miss that. I was so happy they weren't talking about the case. 
That's another great point. They didn't even talk about her, yeah, they didn't even talk about her case. That's a great point. I was like, you know, there's little breaks where you were, but yeah, she's, and that's one of the things that uh, she lies about. She says, oh, well, I learned that Meredith's throat was slit by when I was at the police station, the police officer told me. Well, that, that, no, that's untrue. That was one of the first suspicious things about Amanda Knox is uh, one of, one of the roommates was saying, oh, I hope she didn't, Meredith didn't suffer too much and and Amanda Knox turned to her and said she had her throat slit what do you think or something like that to that effect and that of course gave everybody the willies and she was doing full out <laughs> handstands and cartwheels in the police station right and now it's stretching first it went from yoga to stretching now it's now it's just that she was stretching and, yes, she's um, doing cartwheels, and that—that's what the police mm -hmm. thought. She had a really blithe manner. Like, what's going right. on? Yeah. And there was another thing that Joe Rogan talks about. He talks. He 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 talks about the documentary and what a bad investigation, and they weren't wearing uh, things over their shoes. And I know that they did wear things over their shoes because when they gave Amanda those things to and a hat to wear to go through the crime scene, she put on those little shoe covers and went ta-da. Wow. And they found that very inappropriate. So somehow everybody around Amanda Knox doesn't act suspiciously or oddly or give people the willies, but Amanda Knox does. It's just her kooky sense of humor or her right, i'm just off color but there's yeah. i mean mm -hmm. those pictures of her with eccles too i mean just everything about her just gives me the ski it just squeezes me <laughs> You're out you're not alone it's so weird and I she mean, keeps yeah. and she has the caa and all these agents and publicists and they keep putting her out to the american public and it just seems like the american public doesn't wonder even supporters have said to me I, i've seen enough of her why doesn't she do something else and talk about something else? If she's Does, so traumatized by this, why doesn't she move on and reinvent herself? Why is she stuck in this? Right. Why is she getting involved in the Innocence Project, right? Isn't that what she's doing now? Or is she talking about people who are so-called wrongfully convicted? I think that was in the, like the intro, it's what, host the podcast Labyrinths or something? Well, it started out, the big... PR release on it was that it was going to be a true crime podcast. But now she says in this interview that it's not a true crime podcast and she quits everything that she does. And this starts way back with Amanda Knox before she went to Perugia. Um, she was given a internship, pretty prestigious one in a law firm by her uncle. And she just walked out of it. Didn't say anything to her uncle, just walked out, hmm. just like left it. Weird. So, and wasn't yeah. there like hints so, of like this this event happening in Italy in her prior life? Do you remember anything like that? Like, I think her dad was afraid for her to go to Italy because she wasn't mature enough. Have you heard stories like that? Yeah, she had. She was. She had. She had hosted a party where the police came and she was arrested. They were throwing rocks and underage drinking, drugs, and <laughs> you know Just that kind craziness. of stuff. I mean, that's the. Uh, that's the the word on the street about that she was an out of control. She was this was she was like a this was bound to happen. She was yeah. 
And what's your theory of what really happened with the murder of, of Meredith Kircher? Like people, they always talk it like sex party gone wrong or something like that. What that theory? was never argued in court. <clears throat> Amanda Knox loves to bring that up because it makes, anytime you have these kind of group murders or group gang rapes, or we were talking about the Central Park Five. Right. There's a lot of or things the, that reminded the, me of the Central Park Five about this case, but we can talk about that in a second. Yeah, or the West Memphis Three. Anytime that there's more than one person doing the crime, it becomes very hard to imagine. Now, with the West Memphis Three, we have Miss Kelly's many, many, many confessions, so we know a little bit more about what happened. If we, be, if right. if you believe all of them, and I, I do Which believe I do. some of what, what he said. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I do believe a lot of what he said um, in many of those. Um, so we have some idea, but with with Amanda Knox. We really don't know the mechanics of it, and that she exploits. We really don't know why this started. I can have a theory. My theory is that I think it started. I think Amanda stole her rent money. That's my theory on it to buy drugs from Gude. That's my theory. It may be totally off. It may have started, but there was problems with Amanda and Meredith. Amanda didn't flush the toilet, and she didn't clean. She, she would play the same guitar note over and over, hours on end, and annoy everybody. She was like the roommate from hell. So there was, and when they first met, they said, oh, we, we both speak English. We're going to be friends. And very quickly, it deteriorated, and they became enemies. And there was also a, a, boy, a man downstairs that was interested in Meredith. Giacomo, who Amanda was. So Amanda was hugely jealous of. So there's a jealousy issue there. Meredith was incredibly brilliant and smart. And and men liked her. And Amanda couldn't take it. That was the elements behind it. What happened with the mechanics of it? I don't know. Nobody knows how it, it came yeah. to that point. But G'day was a known drug dealer and burglar, right? So he kind of was a sketchy character. Something happened where they all came together, probably on drugs, is my guess, alcohol, and something happened. I don't know, you know. Yeah, he had one incident where he had robbed one place before, um, one law office, I think, before. But he had he had been raised in Perugia by pretty stable family and and was known in that very known in that town. So they the Snock supporters like to make him look like some kind of career criminal that he really was interesting so do you know why they got like how they're how they intersected they lived i mean perugia is fairly small but i think solicito lived close to gade so maybe that was the how i they thought it was i don't remember I, that i thought it might have been the, the boys downstairs and playing bass and i know that you playing bass there's a basketball court outside the cottage where amanda and i know he played basketball there um I know he's in her diary where she says, I met the most a beautiful black man talking about Rudy Gaudet. And she so, had kind of a sexually charged diary too, right? She had like, uh, she like recounted all of her lovers and all this stuff. Like weird, very weird. She's I mean, she had strange. sex with a man on a train, I believe with her sister there too. Your sister was oh, on yeah. a train. To, who has, I don't know. To me, that's very foreign behavior. I don't know anybody... Anybody yeah. that I know has done that at that age. It's just very, she just had this like very odd personality. My sense of her is she's a, 
She was a young woman who really needed to be attractive to men, really needed the approval of men and did not get along so well with women. I know she had one best girlfriend, but it just seems like women had kind of like a, uh, like push away from her kind of feel. Interesting. And she got her, her ego needs met by men. They, um, somebody wrote to me an interesting post and it was, the term is a catathymic sexual homicide. That's how it was described which arises yes. from underlying sexual conflicts that originated from the offender's longstanding fixation with or disturbed attachment to the victim. Like that. So it was like, a, was, I think that was a good district description that, that of what this kind of thing. She was jealous of her. Melodeth was cultured. She wasn't as much. She kind of was a wannabe, but not really had it, is my sense of her personality. Would you agree with that? I agree. And, uh, Liz, who, who has the True Crimes channel on YouTube, has done fantastic videos on Amanda Knox and really, I feel, really understands Amanda Knox's psychology. And she did a whole video on that, that whole theory of the, the murder. And what on what channel is that on? True Crimes. True Crimes. True Crimes, plural. Gotcha. And are, do, you, do you direct people to your Or maybe it's just True Crime. I, I'll, I'll try to, I don't know. I'll, I'll put it on my on my uh, Facebook group. I'll, I'll post yeah. it for yeah, yeah, you have that Facebook group. But apparently this person posted that Knox was like following and stalking Meredith for two days. And Meredith kind of gave her the cold shoulder and said she's hanging out with some other people. And she was like alone uh, at night and stalked Meredith to the Merlin pub and then got another rejection. And then uh, Labumba wanted to hire Meredith. And so that made her more uh, Knox even more angry. So there's little, you know, subtle things that that uh, made Knox think that Meredith was kind of like a threat to what her happiness was. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Should we go back to the interview? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, hundred percent. What are your, what else? What other notes do you have? Okay, so what, he also starts talking about. So then he so. <laughs> He starts talking about horrible things in the world. We, we played a little bit of that. He starts talking about animals eating their own young. <laughs> Which hmm. animals eat their own young? You remember that part? He talks about um, dolphins and bears eating their own young. This is what's going on in his head. All sorts of types of murder <laughs> situations. The worst kinds of uh, injustices in nature. So, oh my gosh. I mean, a psychiatrist could have a field day with this interview. I oh, thought. no doubt. No so doubt. So I was like, why is he talking about animals eating what eating their own young? And then he starts talking about, well, kids see horrible things today. And he starts out with pornography on their cell phones. And then he goes to murder. And then he quickly corrects himself and says car crashes. But murder is constantly on in its brain. <laughs> the fact that he may be sitting... Across from the murderer, a murderer, yeah. Right. Like That's he must, it. he must have a little hint that something's amiss. Is my guess. Uh, like, and she, like Joe Rogan, yeah. your subconscious is screaming. Yeah, he might, he he might, and the weird smiling that she made the whole time might he might have freaked him out. Like if I was but, sitting across somebody who smiled off, like off tone smiles and stuff, I'd be like, oh, uh oh, is this? I mean, I. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I certainly hope that he doesn't get any other sketchy people like her. But she kept saying, of course, it was Rudy Gaudet. So she said that at 114. 
She also mm -hmm. said, is my life over because somebody doesn't admit they were wrong? So that's another one. And then she threw the old uh, West Memphis 3 special in there. The DNA was never tested, right? So that's, oh, even that's another totally falsehood, too. There was no sperm found of Rudy Goudet anywhere that wasn't tested. That's totally false. I mean, she, she throws in all, all the same falsehoods that's been. And then he also brings up Unemony Park, a defector from North Korea. Right. He was like, saw her mom chose to get raped instead of. That's her. someone I whose story has also been brought up to brought up um been questioned really as oh, possibly false and multiple <laughs> so i thought what, what is that what you're thinking about you're thinking about her wow. and i don't know if joe rogan knows that or not but there's i, I think he's had her on the show i think he had right. that she's a north korean defector so right yeah his batting average is definitely lower lowering with the, those two um she lived for a year on crickets even i kind of raise an eyebrow at that but joe rogan doesn't i mean they couldn't get any meat. They had to. They had to find hunt crickets and eat them. I just, oh you kind of think to yourself, hmm, right? Don't you? Is Definitely, a bit? for sure. That would make me sit up in my chair, hundred <laughs> percent. But the funny thing is, like, the, Joe Rogan just is like the best. Is that what makes his podcast so good? Is that he's the best audience? Is that what makes it so good? That whatever you say, he's like, wow, amazing, amazing. Yeah. And, and and it's just, is it his lack of skepticism that makes him such a Maybe it is. He's just like, yeah, he's relatable and nice. I mean, that, I mean, looking back at Joe Rogan's, I mean, I, I know that he was uh, friends or was really at the very beginning was associated with a guy named Jan Irvin, who uh, was kind of Gnostic media. And in my oh, opinion, yeah. and I, did you, I don't know if you know Jan yeah, Irvin. Okay. Sure. But there's a letter between them where he's like apologizing to Jan. But Jan, in my opinion, was the opposite of Rogan. Like sometimes he'd like, you know, conflicts and arguments and stuff like that. So maybe Rogan learned from Jan not to be confrontational and be a much more kind of passive, passive uh, host. But yeah, I mean, and he doesn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say he doesn't do. I mean, he has some, but he doesn't. I wouldn't say he does like a real. They're more conversational, so his style is different. To just like talking to people for three hours on anything, and that's interesting that you picked up on all that stuff because it's weird. Like he was talking about such dark stuff, you know, with her. It's weird. Absolutely, and <laughs> not and, on topic. Yeah, not on her. And, story. and they're talking about wrongful convictions, and he's and he and Joe Rogan is demanding that prosecutors. He has no idea what a prosecutor does and how overworked they are. And the idea that they go after someone just to get a conviction that they know is innocent, that they know is innocent it's absurd. just to do it and could live with themselves and be totally okay. That that's the majority of prosecutors out there is so wild to me. And it's ignorance of the process. Yeah. Absolutely ignorant of the process combined with a huge ego, the ego of a performer and that's something I'm really familiar with. It's just you have to have such a big ego to withstand so much rejection and to put yourself out there and the kind of inner strength. And some of it is strength and some of it is ego. Uh, it's like a combination. And that's not really a, a good thing when you're so certain you're right about something. You need to. So 
I think he thinks, well, my friends are the best friends. The Innocence Project is the best Innocence Project. The documentary I saw was a well-produced documentary. It's got to be telling me the truth. And you need some skepticism. You need to always be looking at both sides. And that is just not there with him. So uh, true. That's what I was thinking about, just like the ego it takes to, to put yourself out there in the public. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. And then he starts to compliment her and say, you speak so well, you're going to be a great podcaster. And she just the rich, lights This up. is added richness to your character, he said at the end. I was like, wow. He says, he says to her, you're not doing a play. You're not writing a fiction. So it's all in the negative, what she's not doing. She's not. So that's, again, I had to Interesting. Think. Is that what he's thinking? That she's writing a play and that she's giving him a fiction? Right. <laughs> Good so point. Odd. Right. So odd. But Amanda Knox just kind of lights up. And then she says, I feel so sorry for wrongfully convicted people who don't have a public relations expert. Oh, no. She says media training. Oh, and that's gosh. the part where I say, Joe Rogan, why didn't you step in and say, how much media training did you get? We know that Amanda Knox's father hired a PR firm for a million dollars. Right. Gogorty Murat. Uh, before he hired a lawyer and he said it was the smartest thing that they did. But how much media training did you get? All right. Good point. Who? And what I, did they tell you to say? Right. That's what I would want to know. I would have jumped all over that. Yeah, it's interesting that he passed on that. Yeah, really fascinating because you can tell, for me, my sense is she's got a lot of training. So she gets her points in right away. Crime I didn't mm -hmm. commit. This is what I probably, what they put in the notes. Just like Eccles where it's, uh, where he was in 20, jail for 19 years for a crime he didn't commit. This is their blurb on Rogan. Amanda Knox spent four years in an Italian prison following a wrongful con conviction for the murder of her roommate. And that's not really true because she spent three years in there for Colonia. That was, that was part of her sentence. They so, don't even, they don't even write Meredith Kircher's name. Nope. There. Not even a thing. You know, I'll, I'll oh, disgusting. This. Yeah. Let me see if I can put this in there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's atrocity. Yeah. So and then they so then they go on this long tirade about people the really terrible people are in the 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 world the people that don't give other people a break and understand other people's circumstances and amanda knox starts talking about this woman who killed her own baby in prison and how she didn't have the resources or the background to realize she could have made better choices so in, in a way, I thought, is Amanda Knox and Joe Rogan saying, are the guilters, the really terrible people, worse than the murderers, the people who will point out that someone is guilty and convict them? Are they the, are they the, the, the worst kind of people in the world? Right. Yeah, no, she was insinuating a lot of stuff. I, I, I think overall he got played real bad, and that's kind of my take <laughs> on it. I mean, really bad, like by a real kind of uh, – Somebody who's an unfair. I, I think that she was involved in murdering Meredith Kircher one way or another. She was there. So my the prosecutor thinks she plunged the knife, and I, I, I think that's probably true. Yeah. So he's sitting across. I mean, no, none of the other two had the motivation to kill Meredith, except Amanda. No one else. They barely knew Meredith. Why right. would Why would they all of a sudden decide to be? Whatever Rudy's background was, it wasn't a killer. It wasn't a background of a killer. 
Right. There's no evidence of that. There's no criminal background at all, unlike Knox and, and uh, her boyfriend. Yeah. His, his, I tell you, man, he's got a huge show. There's a lot of people interested in him paying off, you know, his Spotify deal. They better be really careful. They should hire an objective lawyer to look at some of their guests if they want to, uh, you know, stay out of trouble. Because if they put Eccles up there or some of these other numbskulls from the uh, Innocence Project, whoa, credibility and reputation. Yeah, that did just. Well, he's just already had this um, Jones character on. And I might cover that case. Um, I think his name is yeah, Robert Josh? Jones. Robert Jones, and it, that's a wild case. But that certainly um, is a case that that uh, needs to be looked at with a lot of skepticism. Not um, not a job for uh, Joe Rogan. Not a job for Rogan. Yeah, really. Yeah, quite. Yeah, crazy. What else do you, do you have? Any other thing, things from your notes? Any things? Oh. Um, Oh, well, Amanda says she can offer her real gift in life is that she can offer someone the opportunity to be seen with no judgment. Mm, that's psychologically telling. Yeah. And uh, it's a gift that she wishes she had been given, she says. And that's and that's all through the interview is, is really and you can see that um, Amanda Knox is really obsessed with people what people think about her. It's yes. not that she can prove her innocence with facts. It's just that people believe that she didn't do it. That's the most important thing. And that really is the MO of innocence fraud everywhere. Just to get as many people to believe they didn't do it. They don't have to prove it legally otherwise. Just in the court of public opinion, you just don't want it. And she just cannot stand the judgment and the idea that she's a bad person, good person, bad person is another theme right. that goes all through this. Um, uh, there's a, and, um, there's a, there's a, says, a oh, Joe Rogan says, if you want to make the world a better place, the one thing you can do is be a little less judgmental and a little nicer. So should we be less judgmental to murderers? Is that what he's saying? Um, I'm, it just seems like it's always on his mind. Um, and the world is a mess and you can find yourself in a terrible position, he goes on to say. Yeah. And I then mean, she says, especially when you feel under threat. I'm not sure. Uh, and and then Amanda Knox says, you look back and think I failed. And I thought to myself, is that what you're thinking, Amanda, that you look back and you failed? Did you fail yourself or did you fail? I think it's, I think she's really upset that she murdered Meredith for her own rep, not because she took a life. That's my right. That's interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. There's a really profound psychological reservoir for analysis in that whole interchange too. Like it's really about Rogan too, as much as her and how kind of not naive he was. I, I mean, or whether, whether he was log rolling for her, like, was he, was there even, kind of a darker, sinister element that he was trying to make her look good. Because I've heard him talk with, so Duncan, his, one of his friends is Duncan Trussell, right? I don't right, know if yeah, we've talked about, about that. Yeah. yeah, we have, yeah. And so, like, he's got, I mean, he's either really ignorant or he's got to know that there's something suspicious about Eccles. I mean, he's still guilty. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Would anyone, and then she says at the end, this is, we have to, this is the final thing I'm going to say, I think about this. Would anyone value me if I hadn't gone through this thing I had nothing to do with? Right. So uh, just 
she's made her she's made millions off of murdering Meredith Kircher. So and sick. instead, and she's lazy. I love when Joe Rogan starts talking about sitting in the sauna and he likes right. to, he doesn't like to listen to audiobooks anymore. He likes to feel, suffer. And also he likes um, talking about putting through physically really challenging things and work ethic. And that's something Amanda Knox has none of, none of any of those things. Work ethic. Right. <laughs> There's no evidence to withstand discomfort. I mean, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. We have to talk about one thing before we end this. When he talks about, do you have, do you, he says, Sarah, do you have nightmares? How often? No, the question is really a weird setup. He says, how often do you have nightmares? Or how often did you have, how many years after did you have nightmares about prison? And she goes, well, I washed my underwear in the sink. And uh, then she says, and then she goes on to say that she misses the bidet that she had in prison. And if you want to read a really interesting interview, read the interview with the prison guard who said Amanda Knox never cried, never needed, never needed sleeping medication, never shared any of her food with her cellmates, was basically just like, fine. They called her the actress in, in prison. And they... <laughs> It's so, so disturbing. Wow. So <laughs> she did fine. This was not some torture thing that she has PTSD from. She was thriving and uh, that she was in her element with other murderers, I think, there. <laughs> right. It's so, it may, just talking about it makes the interview <laughs> even so... more disturbing. It makes it more disturbing because there's people who think Rogan is on point and there's millions of people who are going to watch that. I think his average listenership is off the charts, like I don't, through all the streams and stuff. I think a million or two million. I don't know, but like you're just you're just it's like you know, West Memphis three. You're involved in a fraud, dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's terrible. It's but not the, good. But these people only go on. Like Amanda Knox would never go on my show. No. Because um, you I you jump all over it, all over her. I, I, I would I would be very respectful, but I would have tough questions, and and they don't. The Innocence Project people, they don't talk. I've asked so many people from the other side on my show, and always radio silence. They don't want to discuss. They just want to control the narrative, and they will only go on shows where they know that they will get the soft questions and they will get the kind of reverence that they think they they deserve. And same with Jason Flom, uh, same with Dubin, same with all of them. Any, and if you go actually, sometimes the, uh, the Innocence Project has lives on Instagram. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and wow. if you say anything like, um, if you ask any tough questions, you're thrown out of there within a wow. second, within wow. a second. And I, um, I've been on a couple of their things and either someone I know has said, asked a tough question that you just get tossed out. So they just want to control the thing totally. The and there's money there, right? The, these, these judgments are so-called wrongful convictions or payouts too. They involve payouts. Yes. So, yeah. And that's really been. the engine that, that keeps this whole movement going. It's really like a mafia of better call Saul. I mean, that means that they're not good. These are very accomplished lawyers very, but just I'm talking about morally kind right. of better call Saul lawyers that just Sense manipulate the, the legal system. And then they also pass through laws that are really defendant friendly. 
And they're basically taking apart our justice system so that, I mean, we're paying out in New York multi-million dollar judgments to people who are totally guilty by taxpayer dollars. And in places like California, New York, Chicago, this is big business. And it's very hard to stop something that's making money. Right. Look at the Central Park Five. The payouts were off the charts, right? Right when uh, de Blasio came in, yeah. They wanted $250 million. That will tell you. Then those guys, it's just like this case, they, which I've kind of lost my train of thought. But just because the one guy, who I can't remember, who was from Puerto Rico, was the one who did it, the other five were innocent. Right. So I think that um, Knox had the same thing. Well, Gaudet did it. Therefore, cut and dried, done. You know, I'm I'm innocent. He's been proven guilty. She really uh, hit that, of course. Of course it was Rudy Gaudet, she said. Um, one point. So um, the, the yeah. thing that makes Knox so different than all these other wrongful conviction, innocent fraud narratives is that Amanda Knox's innocence fraud campaign started immediately after she was arrested. And that would never happen in America because the only reason they could do that is that it was in Italy and that they could that we weren't close to the trial. We didn't know what was going on. So they could just feed the media here a bunch of lies about it and they would buy it. But the media in Europe was very different than the media here. And that's why they could. But most innocence fraud campaigns can't really happen till years and years and years and years after because too close to the trial, people know too much. Good point. You have to have... The audience has to be like Joe Rogan, someone who knows very little. Yeah, Your good point. has to know nothing. Yeah, And I, I think she even quoted a ton. She even quoted in the interview, like it takes 14 years before the average thing. So she knows that. So it is interesting that it does take that much time for people to move on, move on to other topics and lose interest in the case. But good news for people, if they really want to look at the facts, I think it's the murder of Meredith Kircher is the website I think it was run by her family or somebody close to the family. And they've never changed their opinion that uh, they believe Amanda Knox right. committed. There's not one court. There's not one court that supports the dis <laughs> that's looked at this case that supports the decision that one person did it alone. And there's a very awkward part in this interview where she talks about what Rudy Gaudet. was convicted. Gaudet was convicted of and she, where she talks about him being part of conspiring to murder Meredith with a bunch of other people. And I thought, well, Amanda, if you didn't do it and Raph didn't do it, then who are those other people? Right. No one supports this one person did it alone thing. And I know it's so popular among Amanda Knox fans, but you have to think at least if no court who's looked at this has, has accepted that as a theory, then it has to be pretty bunk. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And didn't they didn't they say in the findings that they had evidence that somebody was holding her arms and holding her down or something that there were bruises or something like that? She was a karate. Meredith Kircher is a karate brown belt, which is pretty close to a black belt. Black, I yeah, understand. Close, yeah. And she had no defensive wounds. So they figured she was held down. Wow. Just, I mean, just talking about she this. She had a horrible death, Meredith Kircher, really horrible death. Really horrible death. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I, I mean, almost Amanda almost admits to being there. Like she said, she held her ear. I might have held my ears over my head 
while she was screaming. And other some there was somebody who heard the scream, right? Some mm -hmm. bystander or some neighbor or something heard a horrible blood curdling scream. Yes. Yeah. And uh Pat Brown, the profiler, just did an episode on it. And her theory is that Amanda Knox never went in the room, which hmm. is very convenient at during the murder. The problem with that is that Amanda Knox did so much cleaning of the scene, even Rudy Gaday said, but there was so much blood. There's Amanda's footprint and blood, uh, barefoot footprint in the hallway that she didn't really get, she finished that lit up under luminol. So what, if that's true, it just, you would, Amanda's so selfish. I just can't see her cleaning up someone else's crime scene and staging a fake break-in if she wasn't involved. Right. For yeah, someone else. True. She would have been throwing whoever killed Meredith under the bus so fast. That's my theory on it. No, I agree. And uh, yeah, there was all kinds of weird stuff. She, I mean, there's just more, I, the more you look at it, it's even worse. Cause I think there was blood in the bathroom that she walked past and just didn't pay any mention to. Oh like, yeah. She, she said she uh, took a shower yeah. with blood. She just figured someone had a period problem. And I thought, well, who does she think is having this period problem? Not Meredith and neat freak. Who's having this problem? Yeah, there's so many. You see problems. all this blood. You see Ralph's footprint on the bath mat there, and you don't say in blood. You don't think anything. You just want to get naked and take a shower. Yeah, this interview, Joe Rogan interview, was a disgrace, man. I'm sorry. And you, yeah, yeah they, I mean, never stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it just gets worse. So the more I talk about it, the worse it gets. I mean, she's she's <laughs> all there's all kinds of evidence that ties her to the crime and. Whitewashing it. The scary thing is, Roberta, that the, most of the people who watch this will come away thinking she's innocent and that she was wrongly convicted. And that's the sad reality without any, you know, critical analysis or anything, any other countervailing facts. And he's never going to have someone on from the other side. So well, he, sh <laughs> he should so invite you on. You need to call uh, Cummings and have her. Yeah, you know, how do I become friends on. with Whitney Cummings? Yeah, right. But what's your there. what's your feeling when you watch these things? Is it, is, <sighs> I is mean, it cringe it, or rage or? I don't really feel rage. I feel nauseous. Like this is an injustice. <laughs> like I really kind of feel sick, and I, I feel like these people, the victims. It's a West Memphis three all over again. It's the same thing. They never talk about the kids. They talk about the. They don't talk about the families that were ruined. It's almost like the narcissism of these these murderers is highlighted, whether it's Eccles or her, and they miss the whole context, the whole kind of topography of what really happened. And, and, and it's a disgrace for Rogan to be involved in something like that. So that's really, I don't get any, I don't feel rage. I just feel like it's injustice and nauseating. Isn't it great though, that one part when she talks about, is it Iowa or Idaho? Innocence Project that she goes to. I can't remember. Idaho. Which. Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. And she gets embraced by two, in her words, wrongfully convicted people, <laughs> men who'd been in prison much longer. And all I could think was, in my mind, I pictured Marty Tankliff embracing her. Oh, my God. And, and uh, Ryan Ferguson, two cases I've covered. Right. Well, of course you have to think that you found your people because these are people who got away with murder. Right. Good point. Right. Excellent point. Excellent point. I'm going to put up this, this last picture of her. This is what, this is like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I, I think I've shown you this picture of her with um, Eccles 
and Berlinger and Douglas. Look at, <laughs> it's just so sick. Look at Douglas, like the former FBI profiler there with two people involved in murder. It's so crazy. So crazy. And Berlinger's a piece of, I mean, in my opinion, he's a, yeah, he's a monster too, in my opinion. Oh, he, yeah, <sighs> he's dark. And did you catch the part where she's, she, he asked, Joe Rogan asked Amanda Knox if she's done mushrooms? And no, she no. says, no. And then she says, well, I did one, but once before, but it wasn't enough. And then Joe Rogan starts talking about a dose he took. And then she volunteers one gram, two grams. <laughs> right. So she knows, right? She knows the amount. I thought, you know, you, you know how, how familiar are you with mushrooms? And uh, I just thought it was a funny catch. And also we know now that she had just had her baby. Right. And she showed up at the studio. So that's why she wouldn't take the mushrooms or get high or something in the studio with Joe Rogan right then and there because she was obviously breastfeeding. And we know that she just had this baby girl, Eureka, and the New York Times. So she must be on a press thing because the New York Times just wrote a love letter piece to her. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Maybe she is on a press press junket. Yeah. Why do you think she named her baby Eureka? Any... I don't know. It's so weird. She's weird, man. This whole thing is creepy. This picture is also, like I wrote on the blurb, it was this group pick is like an anti-superhero comic book or film. This is from 2019. <laughs> like a Suicide Squad <laughs> freaks only force horseman level. Ah, thank God I'm off Facebook. So I Can can't. you imagine being stuck in an elevator with those? No, no, I wouldn't, I would not, uh, I would not envy that. And for people who don't know Douglas, I don't even know if he wrote his book, but one of his books, his West Memphis three reporting was an atrocity. And I, I quoted that. I, I pretty much took that apart. I thought in my book, abomination, I thought the West Memphis three, how bad a job and what a disgrace Douglas is too. But he probably didn't even write it, his book. He probably had it ghostwritten. So he just signed off is my guess. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Amanda Knox wrote her book. I know uh, New York Times asked whether, in the review, whether Echo's book has been ghostwritten. I know. Well, I just got notification that Echo's book is pu being published with his wife. So they sent well, me about they, what? They, they sent me, so, do you want to preview this book, Ritual? It's like, <laughs> yes. Do you say I yes? I should. No, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I just kind of laughed. It would be amusing if they actually yes, sent me a I'd book. I'd love to have them on. I'd love to. Ah, I should. I should just I say, say yes. yes. Then I, and then people say great, and then I don't hear anything. <laughs> right. Well, that happens to me a lot. So anyway, any last bits before I wrap it up? I got another guest waiting. Oh no, no. This was just. It's yeah. just uh, through, only for you, William Ramsey. When I listened to Amanda Knox and Joe Rogan talk for three hours, it was awful. It was awful. It was just wow, man. It's it's so gross. It's just like, dude, do some homework. Be careful. I mean, this this one. I mean, yeah, those are that's forever. So people can go through, and people who understand the case can just go look and like feel sick and nauseous. It's really bad. So it's. Uh, I appreciate your time and your analysis as usual. It's great to be with you. Where can people see you? You're on, you're on YouTube. You have your podcast is in the top one percent in the world. And you also have a Facebook group, right? Yep. Join my so. Facebook group. I'm on Twitter um, a lot recently with the Julius Jones case. I'm tweeting like crazy. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter, YouTube, Roberta Glass, True Crime. True Crime Report. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, and Roberta. Take you. care. All right. Bye-bye.